wonder if we could do our intro on Zoom. Is that possible? Hey, mama. Hey, mama. I don't know if it's going to work out. That's how we had to do it. That's it. Just two moms on a mission to Welcome to Momprehension. We're so excited. Yeah. Uh, and we have a guest today, and her name is Alex, and we're going to bring her in now. Yay. Yes. Hey, perfect. I'm here. I'm here. We're already mm -hmm. recording. FYI. My headphones said recording in progress, like as soon as it popped up. So I was like, <laughs> you are being recorded. Be warned. Be yes. warned. Watch out. This is Alex, my friend of, I just, re we realized earlier this year, I was like, I gave her like a reference and they're like, oh, how long have you known Alex? I was like, oh, I think like maybe like six years. And then Alex was like, no, girl, it's like 10 years. I'm like, like what? 10. And Alex, I'm like, you introduce yourself, what you do. And um, that way we can have some, if we have some questions, we'll ask you. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So um, my name is Alex Ryan. I uh, am a mom to three kids. They're five, four and seven months. Um, I have been a lactation consultant for about four years, um, and a doula for about five years. And, um, I just, you know, live in the mom life, I guess. That's awesome. I didn't realize you were a doula too. That's so cool. Yeah. Did yeah. you have your three kids at home or at a no. birthing center? So I didn't get to do that because I'm high risk. So um, I wasn't able to deliver at home or in a birthing center, um, but I did do all of my deliveries with a midwife at the hospital. Okay. So that was- I, I wanted the same. I'm, I'm high risk too. So I couldn't yeah. do it either, but that would have been the dream. I would have loved yeah. it. I thought about it. I really wanted to. And I considered it with my third because I was like, man, I've done this a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll be okay. But I actually was the most high risk with her than oh. the other two. Because uh, I ended up with hyperemesis gravidarum, the very severe morning sickness that like makes you lose weight and all of mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So um, for the first like 14 weeks, I was actually losing weight and losing weight. And I didn't gain any weight until like the third trimester because I couldn't eat. And so they had me hooked up to all these fluids and medications and things like that, like 24 seven. And it actually gave me like a heart problem because I was so deficient in like nutrients and things like that. So they had to watch me the rest of the pregnancy once I was able to start like eating and weaning off of the medication because it didn't resolve till after she was born. Wow. So with her, I was actually terrified to give birth because I was like, oh no, something bad is going to happen to me. Right. But her birth was completely uneventful like just easy peasy my midwife was amazing hospital setting was like very quiet easy relaxed but her pregnancy was like yeah complete opposite, opposite. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Opposite. do you have any like recommendations for people who have yes oh that? my gosh yes okay so with my first son I had mm -hmm. hyperemesis as well but I was a first-time mom and I was 21 and nobody believed me they were just like oh you know eat some crackers and you'll be fine. It's no big deal. And I got hospitalized like four times before I was even 11 weeks with him because I couldn't even drink water. Like it was so bad. Um, with my second son, I didn't have any hyperemesis at all. I didn't even get sick, which was wild. But then with my daughter, I, um, you know, got pregnant with her and it was like, I, the two lines showed up and I was in the bathroom. Like there was no it was so quick. It was so like it, exhausting and horrible from the beginning. 
um, that I went, I had a new doctor who Yvette referred me to actually a few years ago. And as soon as I called him and I was like, I've lost 10 pounds. Like I'm only seven weeks pregnant. I can't do this immediately. He called me back and he's like, I sent in for home health, like a home health nurse to come to your house and they're going to hook you up to fluids. They're going to give you um, medication through the IV. And they're also going to do what's called a Zofran pump, which is kind of like, imagine like a Dexcom kind of like for um, people with diabetes, where you just stick it on yourself and then it gives you medication every once in a while to make sure that you're okay same idea, but they, I had to stab myself like once a day with a little stick thing. And then I would hold it in that area for the whole day. And it would continuously give me nausea medication because none of the medications were working orally. So they had to keep doing that. And you can't just have an IV like all the time. Just walking Um, around like, so I had a little fanny pack. I had a little fanny pack with my, uh, little cute, uh, medical device in there. (laughs) She did. Um, It was was very, very adorable. Um, (laughs) And then every once in a while, the home health nurse would come and give me fluids if I was having like a particularly bad day or something. But that saved my life. That that saved my life. I was able to play with my kids. I was able to sleep. I could eat food. I still didn't feel great. I still had that kind of like nauseous feeling in my mouth all the time. But it was, I mean, leaps and bounds different from the last time. So What I say is if you are that sick, if you are throwing up or if you're so nauseous that you can't eat or like when you put things in your mouth, you can't swallow any of that. It's all hyperemesis. If it happens, you know, all day long, constantly that you you ask for a home health nurse because it's covered under like every single insurance plan. Get out of here. Yeah, I had no idea. I was like, it it was even covered under Medicaid because I asked specifically, you know, Medicaid, I know is really hard and sometimes no fully covered. Wow. And the fact that people, I mean, doctors obviously know this, like, why not just, there's so many women I know that get like so ill. I know. I I have no idea why this hasn't been a thing because I have a friend who had a baby seven years ago and she also had this pump going. So it's been a thing for many years, but most doctors just, you know, think, oh, well, once the first trimester is over, she'll be over it. Or there's a lot of doctors that still don't think that it's that bad or, you know, all of that. Whereas there's these women going in, or they just say, go to the ER, get fluids, go to the ER, get fluids, go get fluids. Let's spend like thousands more dollars, (laughs) thousands of dollars. And also just barely keep you alive. Right. It doesn't make you feel okay. It just keeps you alive. Like that's it. So yeah. that is, I highly recommend looking into it, figuring out, you know, when you're looking for OBs before you get pregnant, things like that, talk to them about those kind of things. You know, if you are interviewing OBs or midwives, or if it's your second pregnancy and you were really sick with your first and you don't like the way you were treated, make sure you bring that up from the beginning. Hey, I got really sick. Do you refer out to home health for that kind of thing? So that ahead of time, you're not fighting for the care. Can you tell us a little bit about like the BRCA gene and what that's about and how that actually affects breastfeeding? Is that what made you like want to become like a breastfeeding consultant and all of that? Or like what made you? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically what it is, is it's not that um, you have the BRCA gene. It's that you have a mutation on your BRCA gene. So like everybody has a BRCA1, a BRCA2 gene. It's just some people have specific mutations that make them more likely to get certain types of cancer or to have certain traits and things like that. So for me, 
basically I have a family history of cancer on both sides, like on my dad's side, on my mom's side, everybody's got, I mean, from brain to thyroid to uterine to breast, I mean, like all over the place. So I went in when I was 20 to my OB and it was a new OB. And I was like, Hey, um, you know, I'm here for my regular well visit. Um, but she had read all of my paperwork because I filled out all that giant packet when you first start with a new doctor about your history and all that. And I had put that, you know, lots of cancer on both sides because they always ask you like family history of cancer. And it's like a tiny little line. And I was just like, lots of it everywhere. <laughs> so, cause I don't know, I can't write everybody down. Like that's right. insane. So she was like, what does this mean? Can you talk to me more about this? And so I started, she's like, I want you to give me a list and I'm going to write down like all the different people. Okay. So we sit there and I go through all the different people, all the different types that I know, because, you know, like it's aunts and great aunts and different things. So I was like, I know that there's, you know, this, I don't know a lot about it. Anybody that I had more information, I gave her more, whatever. So at the end of that, um, she's like, okay, thanks. Does the whole visit. And then she goes, you know, I really just feel like you should have genetic testing done. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, is it covered by my insurance? And she's like, yeah, because you have such a large family history. I just put that in the notes and your insurance will cover it. Okay, fine. Go for it. Do whatever you want. So I go on with my life for like two weeks. Totally forgot about this because she just drew the blood in the office and sent it off. Totally, completely forgot. And so she calls me like two weeks later and she's like, hey, um, I need to talk to you about your blood results. And so she goes, you actually have one of the things that I was worried about you having. Um, you have a gene mutation. And so then she goes into this whole long like spiel, basically like a telehealth visit um, telling me, you know, this is what it is. This is what it means. So thankfully, she referred me to a breast surgeon who had availability like that week. So I was able to get in and go talk to her and also a geneticist who was able to like really break down for me all the different things that were going on. So basically they said, Hey, look, um, you have BRCA2, which in itself puts you at like an 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer. Um, and that means over your lifetime. So there's an 87% risk, every 87% chance risk that by the time you're 80, you're going to get breast cancer at some point between all that time. That's insane odds. I know. So I was like 87. That's it. And she goes, well, and because your other side that doesn't carry the gene also has all of this cancer, it increases your risk to be higher. They didn't have an exact number for me because they're like, we can't exactly give you that based on just the family history, but it does increase your number. And it also increases your risks for a plethora of other cancers, which include like ovarian, uterine, um, and things like colon cancer and pancreatic cancer and all that. So she gives me this whole long like list of like, okay, here, 10% this 60% that like, all these different cancers. Devastation. You had to be like devastated. Like it was well, I'm 20 years old. Like, right. I'm living with my then boyfriend. We're I'm just doing I'm going to college, like, didn't, didn't even like cross my mind that something so like big was going to just fall out of the sky after I go to my OB appointment. Like, you know, it wasn't something I was, it wasn't like my family talked about it and we all knew, and it was something you, you test when you're 18 and everybody's informed. It was nothing like that. It was just, here you go. Here's all of this information. So, um, once I was given all of that, uh, I talked to the breast surgeon about like, options, you know, because they were like, breast cancer is the most pressing problem that you're going to face, 
as well as ovarian cancer, because that one was like in the 60 something percent. So they said um, your options basically are every six months you do a mammogram or an MRI. They alternate back and forth to just see what's going on. You do a baseline one and then you go from there to see if there's any changes and to monitor to make sure nothing happens. And it's every six months because people who have a BRCA gene mutation are more likely to get aggressive, fast forms of cancer. So they want to make sure they're checking on you pretty often um, to make sure that that doesn't happen. And then also doing monthly self-exams. And by the way, here in America, like I know one time I had like you know, some breast pain or something. And they were like, oh yeah. And even my doctor tried to be like, don't you have a history of breast cancer? Like to try and like get the like insurance to pay for it. And I was like, yeah, they still don't pay for it. Like mm-hmm. they don't, they, they're like, that doesn't count. Um, you get like your one free mammogram a year after what is it? Like 40. age 40. Mm-hmm. If you're under the age of 40, forget it. Like you're paying every time you get that Mm -hmm. mammogram done, every time you get the MRI done and they are not cheap. They're not like, no, my first MRI was like 500 something dollars because even with the gene mutation, they will only cover once a year. They don't cover every six months. So my first MRI and because they, I I had just found out and all that, I ended up having to pay like 500 something dollars, which for a 20 year old in college was like, Oh my God, I'm like, how am I going to do that? Insane. Crazy. Yeah. And so I went, I got my first MRI. I went back to the breast surgeon and they were like, Hey, look, you can do this every six months and do these breast exams um, and panic for the rest of your life, basically. (laughs) Um, And she mentioned that if I was going to have kids and breastfeed, that during breastfeeding, you can't do any of these images because they won't be able to see because the milk blocks the images on the screen. So they can do like, you know, imaging, but it's not going to be very telling because there's going to be a lot of blurriness. There's going to be a lot of, you know, problems in the images. So they said, you know, hey, if you are planning to have children and breastfeed, remember that you will not be able to have mammograms or MRIs while you're pregnant and while you're breastfeeding. So every, you know, I'm thinking, okay, if I'm pregnant for nine months and then I breastfeed for at least a year, if not more than that, that's two years each time I have a child that I don't get to be monitored at all, which is horrifying. Isn't breast cancer also like fed by hormones? Yes. So some types are fed by hormones depending on, you know, what type it is. Some of them, they say that breastfeeding can lower your chances of getting certain types of cancer because you're using the tissue and it's doing what it's supposed to do and things like that. So there are certain types of cancers that are the lower, are a lower risk. However, you are at a higher risk of getting breast cancer when you're pregnant because of the hormones. So it's like, it was this kind of like, okay, so I just have to choose to either like only have one child or like be panicking for two years every time I have a child because of this thing going on. Um, And they said my other option was to go on chemo preventative drugs, which is basically like it kind of puts you into like an early menopause sort of. And it just shuts down your hormone production to keep any kind of hormone cancers from showing up. That's and while you're breastfeeding, you can do no, that? no, no, no. This is oh. just an option that you can do instead of monitoring. And oh, um, then what are your op- your options of pregnancy if you're like on you can't hormo- right? Yeah, you would have to stop that for like a certain amount of time before you could even start trying to get pregnant because of the risks of birth defects mm-hmm. and things like that. 
So that was the other option. And she's like, I don't give that option to people that are like of childbearing age. That's typically like 45, 50, 55. That's something that they would give somebody of that age to do as a preventative. But she's like, it's really not something we do often. I just want to like, you know, read out all of your options for you. Okay. And she's like, the other option is a preventative mastectomy. What is that? I don't know what that is. She's like, basically what they do is they go in underneath, you know, your breasts or through the nipple, depending on what type of procedure you get. Um, and they just cut out all of the breast tissue from your collarbones to like the bottom of your rib cage. And they just scrape everything that they can possibly find out of there, like an amputation of your breasts. But obviously, since I know all about this, that's what I did. I went and I said, no, I am not. I want a couple of kids. Um, I want to be able to not be panicking about this the rest of my life. I'm a high anxiety person. You already have anxiety when you're pregnant already. Like, yeah. (laughs) So you don't need double anxiety. I can't handle it. I was like, I can't. The first night after I found out what I had, I started obsessing and I started like checking myself daily and I was absolutely a wreck. I was, I didn't even want to look at myself in the mirror because I was terrified. And so, you know, I talked to her and I was like, okay, just take them, take them. I don't need them. And so then how did that lean into, well, I know like you always lo- like loved kids and were like loved yeah. babies. So I understood the do- the doula thing. Yeah. Um. And by the way, Alex, what doula for me, I think I was her, your first one, right? Was that mm-hmm. your first? Yeah, I was her first. So it wasn't, it wasn't a good experience though. Well, it was, it was like horrific. a four day induction. So that yeah. was a little difficult. It was, it, it was, it wasn't the best, you know, experience. And I know Alex was like, girl, we, we got to do something like it was, I, it was rough. And I know more now too about, you know, induction process and things like that. But I mean, you were exhausted. There was not yeah. much that I could do for you right. because was, you were so tired. Like it was rough. There, it was rough. And it was you like know, no food involved for days, for days. You were not allowed to eat mm-hmm. for days. Yeah. And then, Ugh. and then the medicine just, what well, I wasn't reacting well to, it was bad. So, so I was just like, I'm sorry. And I was like, don't Aww. be sorry. It is not your fault. It is totally everything that came from the birth. So I get the whole, like the doula thing, but then when you change to breastfeeding too, like you want, I know you wanted to add that, which is an amazing, I was like, wow. Yeah. Duh. Doula and breastfeeding consultant. So like you're there for the birth and then immediately hop into breastfeeding and like, but I was, I also was like, okay, does that link also to the fact that she had this, this BRCA like gene mutation? Yeah. Is that all? Are you able to breastfeed after having a, uh, uh, the, preventative yeah so no but i will explain so basically when they cut out all the breast tissue there's no milk ducts they cut those out too they're gone that's what i would have assumed Um, yeah however since i did a nipple sparing mastectomy there's a little bit of tissue left behind there because they have to allow for blood flow to the nipple because otherwise it'll die like you know they have to allow for blood flow to the skin and to the nipple so they have to very carefully go around when it comes to that um So basically how I got into the breastfeeding is I became a doula when I was pregnant with my first son. Um, And then when I was in the hospital with him, I had, um, I had a really hard time accepting that I wasn't going to be able to breastfeed. I knew that the mastectomy was the right choice for me. However, I 
I cried. I spent a lot of time dealing with that because I am the oldest of five. I was there for the birth of my two youngest siblings. Um, My mom breastfed. I was around this kind of whole thing for a long time. And it was really important to me to breastfeed. Um, And so I was very devastated about that. I knew though, if I chose to breastfeed and then got breast cancer and wasn't there for my kids, it wasn't going to be worth that to me. So I knew that I made the right choice, but I still had a lot of like trauma and sort of guilt over it was a lot. It's a lot. lot. Yeah, it was. And so when I went in to have my son, I had like a sign made for my door that said non-breastfeeding mom, like mastectomy, do not send the lactation consultant in here, whatever. Cause I was like, I can't talk about it too much. And you know what happened? Everyone talked to me about it. Oh no. Everyone. With the sign? With the sign. I had a sign. Just ignored it? Just like, no breastfeeding. Okay. Hey, mama, you want Uh, to breastfeed? I'm telling you, my mom was there because my mom and I got our doula certification together. So she was my doula for all three of my kids. But she was there and she, like the third or fourth time somebody said, like, are you planning on breastfeeding? My mom was like, is anyone looking at her chart? (laughs) Like she was so mad. She was so mad. She, and my husband was like very upset for me because he knew like how, how upset I was. And she said, she's like, if one more person comes in here and asks my daughter about breastfeeding, I'm going to the hospital director and I'm going to talk to that. She went off. I could hear her in the hallway (laughs) doing her thing. She's like, don't say another word. And I'm in the room crying because I hadn't even had, I hadn't even had him yet. I hadn't even had him yet. I'm in like now they're asking even before you get because they want to know like should they get formula yeah. ready or like do you need a but lactation if you have consultant it on the door? It's like, nobody looked. Nobody it's like looked. having a can't eat. What do they call it? A, a NPO. NPO and walking in with a burger. Like hey, yeah. yeah. Like, no. <laughs> it was it was absolutely awful. So, anyways, nobody asked me after that. Thank God. Um, yeah. but. I had donor breast milk for my son. So somebody had told me um, about that when I was pregnant because I was researching formulas and I was like, what are we going to do? You know, whatever. And then a friend of mine was like, have you thought about doing donor breast milk? And I was like, what is donor breast milk? And so then I ended up connecting with a couple of moms who were extreme overproducers who were able to basically just donate all of their extra to me. So my son was able to get donor milk, which I thought was like amazing. So that was my first kind of like, oh, wow, there's some cool stuff with breastfeeding that I think is interesting. Like that's sort of where it started. So I brought donor milk to the hospital. And again, they were storing my donor milk in the hospital freezer. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, it's in the freezer. <laughs> right. No, stop okay. it. So um, I, he was born, obviously. And then I was feeding him the donor milk. It was going super well. We were doing skin to skin, whatever. And so then I get a knock on my door and it's a lactation consultant for the hospital. And she's like, hey, introduces herself. And I like cut her off. My mom had gone home by this point because <laughs> it was, you know, Days. whatever. So she's not there. My husband is passed out asleep on the couch so I'm alone now being introduced to the lactation consultant and I was like I'm gonna stop you right there don't say anything else like I don't need your help thanks so much see you later I was done and she goes um I know I know about your situation and I also thought maybe she was coming to like get mad at me about the donor milk because a couple of the nurses had given me kind of a hard time about it because they were worried you know oh where'd you get this from and all of that 
totally understandable. But I had, I had gotten it from friends. And then if it wasn't friends, it was like friends of friends who I had it like background checked, basically stalked them all over the place, made sure they were not fake people, all of that, whatever. At and one then, point in time, it was me. <laughs> and it was that, yes, I was going to get to that, that she fed <laughs> Rowan. Um, my second son yeah so um but yeah so it was people that I knew or people that Mm. were other moms like in groups that I'm in or whatever and I would always talk to them extensively I would ask them what medications they took I would all of those things and so I thought okay maybe she's coming in to like ream me for the donor milk fine whatever and she goes no I know about the donor milk I love that and I was like okay right (laughs) okay you love that and she goes I have an idea and I just want to see what you think and I'm like okay I'm open to it I get it she knows my situation she's there's she's she understands what's going on and so she explains this tool to me she goes there's this thing she goes I don't have this tool at the hospital but I did look online and I saw that there's a store that carries it like 20 minutes away and I wanted to know if you would be open to trying something with me and I'm like okay so she found what's called a supplemental nursing system And these are typically used for moms that are under producers that want to continue to breastfeed, but they need to supplement. And it's like a tiny little tube, like a spaghetti noodle, and it hooks up to the end of your breast, like a nipple. And when the baby latches and they suck, the formula or donor breast milk comes through the tube as well as the breast milk from the mom. So she goes, I know that you had a nipple sparing mastectomy. So how would you feel if we put the donor milk in the container and then we latch the baby so that you could have the benefits of breastfeeding since you can't breastfeed? And I was blown away. Like, what? What do you, I can, I can breastfeed. Like I could do this thing that I've wanted to do this whole time. And, you know, she was very sweet. And uh, so my mom I call her. She immediately like books it out to this store. Um, it was like a baby store or something like that. She goes and gets it and she comes back up to the hospital and the lactation consultants like taping the stuff to me and we're doing this whole thing. And my son instantly latches Aww. like instant and everybody's crying. Everybody <laughs> in the room's crying. It's tears so everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. it was You're beautiful. Me. Oh, there are, there are, you, you hit, hit on it, but there's so many benefits for mom to breastfeed like yes, it helps yes. in the healing it tells our bodies um I don't remember contract. right mm-hmm. oh and yeah just, um, like you know mom, it's like this way of communicating mom and baby like subconscious psych psychic way of communicating mm-hmm. um that, that gives both what they need so that's yeah, exactly. so cool that yeah I, I that know they I'm thinking of like the meet the Fockers. Is it the meet the Fockers? Oh, with the boob? Yeah, that's yes. what I'm imagining. Yes. But, which seems so yes. silly, but it's really cool that like something like that actually exists. It's and a works. real thing. Yeah. So it, wow. it was shocking to me that that could happen. But yeah, so he latches. We're all crying. And then when he latched, I did. I got that like hormone rush that like yes. Yes. all over. And I was just like, this is the most amazing feeling in the entire world. Oh my gosh. I love this. And so I did that with him for, I mean, probably one or two feedings a day because it was really hard Mm -hmm. to like get it set up. And and I did start contracting too. All of a sudden when he was latching, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) 
Mm. And I wasn't ready for that because nobody had warned me because I wasn't breastfeeding. So she goes, oh, yeah, you're going to get contractions. Like, I don't know where she's like, oh, just you're so you know. to feel like you're in labor again. Yes. <laughs> I kept telling my nurse, I, I think I'm still in labor. I think some, I'm still in labor. She's like, no, it's normal. But it hurts. So it hurt like labor. Yeah, the cramps are... The cramps oh, are they are for real. They are for real. Maybe that's why you get that rush, that oxytocin rush to like make you not think about the fact that you're cramping so you're hard. Cramp- yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. So but that's yeah. what led you into like, oh, yeah. breastfeeding. Oh, wow. That, yeah. yeah. I remember story. Alex bringing that to me when I was having difficulty. I, I don't know. I didn't produce for like five days and I kept going and I would call Alex crying. It's not working. I I mean, days. And I think what Alex explained to me was just like, you had such a rough pregnancy, a rough birth delivery. Everything was just so bad that my body just like, wasn't ready yet. And I mean, I was like, pumping and pumping and latching and latching for like five days i was like it's not working and alex actually did bring me some of her donor milk i remember that which was which was just awesome because now we all know fed is best right yes so i'm not saying anything about formula fed like if you want a formula feed you know more power to you uh, do that but like you know in my eyes like breastfeeding as well as with Alex was like something that I was like I just really? I really 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 want to do this which by the way I never got to do mm-hmm. because I had to exclusively mm-hmm. pump mm-hmm. I she brought me that contraption and she was like try this and I was like this isn't working like yeah. and it was just but the fact that he wasn't watching it just was yeah. it was just you, like yeah it was it was really hard with with me with you for one because I hadn't had breastfeeding training yet I had a little bit from my doula experience but when you had Ezra I did not have my I was her first for everything basically (laughs) when Ezra was born it was like two months later that I got my certification so it was pretty cool I I knew a little bit but not enough to like really help her now I know I always think back and I'm like oh we could have tried this and this and you know whatever Mm. all the different things but I didn't know that then um, but yeah, so I, and she wouldn't ask me for donor milk either. I was the one that I was like, Yvette, I'm bringing it to the hospital and you can use it or not use it, but I'm bringing it up there. And well, she was uh, like, I don't want to take it from you. I'm like, oh. well, because I know it took, it was so hard for I know. You to, to get it. And I just, I, I felt so bad. And I know, I just remember at the hospital at one point, I think it was like day two and they were like, you know, squeezing the crap out of me. And I was like, listen, just get the formula because it's not happening and he's hungry like just get the formula I don't I don't care at this point in time I just want him fed you know but yeah but then Alex did bring me the donor milk which was nice and then I started producing my own and then it felt like so nice to be like I can replace this that I I did times eight yes literally (laughs) yeah like trash bags full of breast milk (laughs) Because I, you know, exclusively pumped. So my but all body... the things you all the things you did in those first five days, like continuing to pump, continuing to try and latch him, that is what gave you that good supply is that you kept yeah. going and you didn't stop, which is amazing. Like you took a break for like, you know, a few hours to sleep and things like that. But because you kept doing all of those things, your body did eventually go, Oh, okay, okay, I'm here. Like yeah. here's all this milk. Yeah. So and- you Yvette, you were such a rock star because I 
got pregnant a few months after you. Mm -hmm. So you had Ezra and then I had Lucas and I was able to just, I, with him, he was little and born very small. So I had some problems. I did have to have a, uh, lactation consultant come out after the hospital, the one at the hospital, they were, they would just like come in and he'd latch for 10 seconds and they'd be like, good. And he'd leave. And then, you know, by the, when I got him home, he, like the first three days, he just wouldn't eat. He wouldn't latch. So I had somebody come in. It was the best money I've ever spent. She, I never had another problem. She just taught me that like, it's instinctual and here's what he's doing. And it, it was amazing. We never had another problem. I remember thinking, I cannot believe Yvette is feeding her baby and having to pump. That is so much work. It is so much work to pump. What? Three, four, five times. How often did you even have to do it? Oh gosh. So exclusively pumping is not for the weary. No. And, um, and it is who's not weary after having a baby. Right. It, it is, it, it is, it takes uh, a lot of uh, patience and, you know, a dedication. Um, and because I was so dedicated to my son having breast milk, that was, and like I said, I don't, I'm not knocking anybody who does formula, like, like do it, but that's just what I wanted to do. You know, yeah. the work behind it is, is definitely a lot. So when, like, when you first, first of all, I remember the first time that something came out because I literally would put, it got to the point where I would pump every two hours. Like Alex told me, she's like, like every two hours, you got to like stick that pump on. And it was like, so, ugh. and it got to the point, like in the beginning days that I wouldn't even attach the bottles because I knew nothing was going to come out, but I would, yeah. cont- I would still pump. Like I would still like, okay, nothing's going to come out, but here I go. I'm going to do it. And I'll never forget the one time that something did come out <laughs> and, I, and I didn't have the bottles attached to them. And all, of a, <laughs> and all of a sudden, like my leg is wet. And I'm like, why is my leg? <laughs> I remember this so vividly because you, I was either there or you FaceTimed me or something because I remember you being like, it's on my leg. <laughs> and I was like, what? And you're like, I need to get the bottle. It's like you're like screaming like oh my God. I was just I was so excited I literally could not breathe I was so excited yeah like, because oh my God, the milk is here yeah it was because it was a good five days it was a yeah. good um, five days yeah. I want to mention that it is very common for c-sections and long inductions to lead to three to five days for your milk to come in that is very common and moms are not told that but it's extremely common when you are pumped full of fluids and medications or if you have a c-section especially like a crash c-section like if that had to have after a long induction you're going to be on that five day mark because your body is so full of like swollen full of fluids and medication it just has to get all of that out before it can start making milk so that's totally normal, but you didn't know that. At yeah. The yeah. Yeah. And Alex that's- was like, just keep going just every two hours. And when yeah. we're talking every two hours, like the baby would wake up, I would feed him in the middle of the night. Like every time that every time I would feed him, I would put the pumps on. Yeah. yeah. Like every time, and even in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, feed him, put him back to sleep if I could pump. And then, then it got to the point where I was like, I can't do that. Like, I still was so upset. I was like, I can't do this because I have these things attached to me and my son is crying and I can't get him. I can't do anything because I have these things attached to me. 
And so Alex was like, why don't you try like the breast, the, the, you know, the, hands so hands-free, right. A hundred percent. That's what I tell every, every mom. I'm like, get a hands-free pump because even if you're breastfeeding, right? Like if you're breastfeeding and you're done breastfeeding, then you have to pump after that. And then what happens when your baby starts crying? What do you do? Like, you're just like, whoops, sorry, hon. I got this stuff attached to me. And, yeah. or you hold him from afar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Shh, it's okay. It's okay, baby. You're As like you trying have. not to spill your milk. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't oh. spill the milk, but you're over here. And, um, and then, but when you get those, it's just like, I could literally, it was almost like mm-hmm. my body. I'm- felt like it was breastfeeding I not in that way but because I'm like I'm smelling him I'm kissing him yeah I'm loving up on him I'm giving him you know loves and then the first time I I showed Alex to the first time I was like Alex oh my god the first time I pumped in those like uh, it's the stress too it's the stress yeah. of wanting to like not have and not having enough like oh my god I only got an ounce Alex like an ounce is normal but then when I got those, the stress that I didn't have, plus I was able to hold him, I did almost double. I pumped almost double of what I normally pump. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that that is because you were holding him and smelling him, that's something that I tell moms that are having trouble with pumping, like at work or when they're away from their baby. I'll say, watch videos of your baby, look at pictures of them, bring a blanket that smells like them, all that, because it will help you to make more if you are near your baby. But if you're not near them, you can mimic that sort of like feeling. Um, Because that's really important. It can really make a difference in how much milk you make. And then also not looking at it makes a huge difference. They actually did a study Mm -hmm. on this and they had some moms pump and have it open and check. And then some put socks over the bottle so they couldn't see it. And the ones that didn't look made more than the moms that were panicking about how much was coming out. So I recommend like the, so it being inside, it being more comfortable, you being happier, all those things, like all of that leads to a better experience and then more milk at the same time. What do you suggest to women who like, because I see women online who are just like, I just can't produce enough. Like I can't. And they're like, I've tried the cookies. I've tried. Do those even work? Do the cookies work? (laughs) No. Yes and no. Um, Basically they're called galactagogues, which is like a fun word for like things that may or may not help with milk production. Um, The way that I learned about it was the only way they're going to help you is if you are needing something that they have. So like if you're someone who is iron deficient or you don't get enough protein and then you eat a bunch of these like bars and drinks and like all of that stuff, you're replenishing what your body needs. And then in turn, it's helping with the milk production. It's not making more milk. Like it is doing something inside of you to help you to be a better producer. However, most people aren't iron deficient or, you know, protein deficient or whatever. So they eat these things and they're like, why isn't it working? Well, because it's not supposed to, like, it's kind of a marketing scheme. It doesn't really do a lot for most people. Now, a lot of people need more water or they need more electrolytes. So then they drink things like body armor and it really does help. 
Yeah, that was that was crazy for me. The body because, armor, I was like, whoa. Because it gives you all of this good stuff that your body needs, makes you more hydrated, and then you're more able to produce a better amount of milk because you're in better health. So mm -hmm. those kind of things, that's kind of where that comes from. There are a few things that really do actually increase milk production, but there's not very many like natural sources that do that. It's more like um, medications like Domperidone, which is not available in the US, but like in Canada and things like that, that actually does increase milk production. And then something that you can get here that can help is called Reglin or metoclopramide. It's like an anti-nausea, anti-anxiety kind of medication, but it has been shown to increase milk production a little bit. But some people have really bad, like anxious reactions to it. So it's not safe to just like prescribe to anybody. So, but honestly, yeah, the cookies, the bars, the drinks, the whatever, it's, it's hit or miss. You can try it. I always tell people, try it. If your grandma said that the pink drink from Starbucks helps, Go try the pink drink. It's not going to hurt. So go try right. it. it. And even if it's a placebo effect, fine. Let it be a placebo effect. It's working. It's it's helping. So that's fine. Like it doesn't. What do you think are the biggest issues as to like why some women can't like produce, breast produce or breastfeed? Like what do you think is the reason behind that? So from practice, because now I've been doing this like all the time for several years that I have seen hundreds of moms at this point. Um, I would say that there's like two or three things that I notice the most. Um, as far as science goes, it's less than 1% of the population has in inadequate breast tissue. So it's most likely not that you can't. It's most likely not that. Um, I would be able to do an exam on someone and say like, okay, you really don't have milk ducts on this side, or, Hey, you really have underdeveloped breast tissue, things like that. There are a handful of people that really do have that problem, or they have things like PCOS or other underlying conditions that do cause like a, um, kind of like a block from your body to be able to make the right amount of milk because of your hormones. Mm -hmm. So things like that, PCOS, absolutely research has shown us that it does affect milk production in a lot of women. So that is something that I would ask, hey, do you have PCOS? Do you have a history of breast surgery? Do you, you know any of these things before we get into anything else? Because if we know that, then all of the techniques that I'm going to give you aren't going to work. So if mm -hmm. it is not you know, a anatomy issue or a internal issue, most of the time it is because they're not doing it right. And what I mean by that is nobody explained to them that you either have to be pumping or breastfeeding every two to three hours all day, not when the sun is up, 24 mm -hmm. hours, every two to three hours. That is the only way that your body is going to make enough milk for your baby. And once you get regulated and once your body has figured out how much your baby eats and you guys kind of get in tune with each other, that can be wiggled. The baby can sleep for longer. You know, you can sleep for longer. You can go to work. You can, you know, stuff like that where you really don't need to be doing it every two to three hours, depending on your baby. Some babies are like snackers and they drink once an hour and sit for five minutes and then they run off and do whatever they want to do. That's fine. But for your hormones and the hormone production and making milk, you have to pump or feed every two to three hours around the clock until your milk supply is established. And typically I tell people that's about six weeks. 
So till the six week mark, you need to be religious about how often you are feeding that baby, because then your body will get that sort of level and level out on the amount of milk that you need to make. And then you can start playing around with more sleep and, you know, going longer times between things or whatever. But that is the number one thing that they'll say, I'm not making any milk. And I'll say, okay, how often are you feeding your baby or how often are you pumping? Okay. Well, I didn't pump last night. I've pumped once today and it's 4 PM. I didn't get anything. And I'm like, you pumped one time today. Like my, you know, my brain's exploding, but I can't, you know, I have to then have an education session with them that I don't even, the only reason I'm here is to tell them that they need to pump more. There's nothing else wrong. It's just that they're not doing it enough. And that's because what, because what tells your body to make more milk is, is the removal of milk. The removal of the milk. Yeah. So the way prolactin works, like I wish I had a little thing to draw on because it's, <laughs> it's a nice visual, but the way your prolactin hormones work is you start feeding, your body has a little bit of milk already stored up for the next feeding, right? You start making milk as you go. But once that baby latches and starts removing the milk, milk production happens in the moment that you're feeding. You don't just fill up with the amount that the baby is going to drink. It continues to fill in the milk ducts as that baby is eating. So it is a very like rapid production kind of thing. And with prolactin, what happens is the levels go up and then at a certain point they plateau. So they're going to go to like here and you're not going to get any more. So that's why if you pump for an hour or you pump for 20 minutes, you'll probably get the same amount because it's not going to go up any more than that. It's going to level off. But what happens to get it to go up higher is you want to stop. You want to you know, take a break from the feed and then it doesn't dip all the way back down. It dips down a little bit and then it goes up more. So each time you do that, it's increasing like the level of the prolactin so that your body knows to make more and your body doesn't know to make more unless the baby is on you or unless you are removing the milk via a pump. Obviously pumping is not as um, good at removing your milk as your baby's going to be. So a lot of times moms will be like, oh, I fed him, but when I pumped, I only got an ounce. So that means he's only getting an ounce. Is he crying afterwards? No, he seems full. Okay, he probably got more than an ounce, but your pump is only getting an ounce because it's not perfect. It's not a baby's mouth. It wasn't made to do this, you know, biologically. So it does its best, but it's never going to get as much out as your baby is going to get. So honestly, most of the time it is that they are not pumping or feeding enough um, or that they just, you know, have something really small, like a position change or their baby's lips are folded inwards instead of outwards. So they're not suctioning properly. Like that was mine. Little... <laughs> yeah. Well, that was you. He had a tongue tie and lip tie, right? Yeah, and that was bad. Yeah. Also, we had issues with, am I allowed to talk about your boobs on this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about boobs. Um, Sure, we could talk about my boobs. Well, there's nothing wrong with your boobs, but just her her baby was tiny, boobs are not. You could tell. Baby tiny, boobs not. So <laughs> that was not a good right. combination. Most okay. babies can work around large breasts. It's not usually an issue, but because he was born early, he was lower weight, he had the ties in his mouth, it was extremely difficult for him. But I had that that was my problem. I, I had a tiny baby, an underweight baby. And big boobs. And I had to do the uh, shields. It was yeah. the only way. Yeah. Because it's for somehow, it, I, I don't know what about that made it work. But 
Well, because what that does is it just, you know, creates like a smaller area that the baby's mm -hmm. trying to get in their mouth, especially with, you know, it's not even about large boobs. It's sometimes about like large nipple areola, but the breast itself, if it's extremely round, it's hard for a tiny baby mouth right. to kind of like clamp onto that. So the nipple shield just pulls it out a little bit to give it more of like a, you know, flatter shape, which I don't use nipple shields a lot because they can be overused, but for large breasts, for inverted nipples, for babies with ties that can't be revised right now, they're great. They're so, such a great tool to like help us keep the breastfeeding relationship up yeah. in the meantime of figuring out what like the bigger problem is. But I yeah, had to so wean them off of it. I had to yeah, get yeah. them on, get them to latch and then slip it out. And yeah. eventually we got past that. Yeah. But it did and Nipple shields are also extremely helpful for moms that were not able to latch at the beginning due to like baby being in the NICU or, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And then transitioning them to breastfeeding because now all they've had is like silicone or, you know, plastic or whatever in their mouth with the bottle nipple. So you try to put a skin in their mouth and they're like, what is right. that? I don't want that. No. So using the nipple shield is like a transitional from the bottle too. So you can use that because it's the same material as the bottle nipple. And then you mm -hmm. can slowly try to do like you did and like slip it off of them so that then yeah. they get used to it. It takes a lot of patience to breastfeed because there's so many little things that you don't learn about beforehand that can happen. But yeah, I mean, that's my number one problem. The number like two or three problem would probably be like ties, uh, you know, latch issues, that kind of stuff. But most of the time, I would say it's just not enough education to the mom. Almost <laughs> always. It has something to do with her not getting enough information and knowing her body and how this is supposed to work and things like that. They just truly don't know. And so it is more, more often than not, my appointments are education sessions more than I don't put my hands on people. I was going to mention that one of that was talking about um, the hospital IBCLCs because they do have a reputation for being very so catchy. rough. So like, rough. Just you and <laughs> yeah, they're like, do this and do that. And do now, to their defense, they've probably never worked outside of the hospital. So right. they're just going based on what they've learned in the hospital, which is a totally different practice than outside yeah. because they only need to know for the first three days of a baby's mm -hmm. life how things go. They don't need to know what happens after that. So they're not doing it to make anybody upset. But one of the things that I do in my practice is I try to stay hands off unless I have to touch you. And that's only if like I need to evaluate the baby's mouth, if I need to help you assist like with latching, if I need to, you know, examine you, if you have like a thrush infection or you have like, you know, something going on, I need to actually feel the lump if it's a clogged duct, whatever. But I always say, is it okay if I touch you? And then I explain what I'm going to do. I'm going to palpate right here. I'm going to open your baby's mouth and check for ties because I know I can't tell you how many moms say the lactation consultant at the hospital just assaulted me and put my baby on and she just threw her on there. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> the, <laughs> the lactation consultant who came to my house after my youngest was so different from in the hospital, but literally all she did was sit me with me for two hours and just teach me mm -hmm. when the baby would be screaming and she'd say, just let him, just let him find you. He's yeah. looking for yeah. you. And, and it was literally, she didn't put her hands on me. It was just, let me teach you what to do. And, yeah. and 
just let me teach you like what he's doing right now. And it was so amazing how two hours of just learnings. I breastfed my first two kids and had no problems. So to have this baby who would not latch on and, you know, it was something completely different. And but it was just it was all just like learning. And I took copious notes and I used to love not love it, but. When I'd have friends, he'd be like, oh, my baby won't latch. I can't latch. I'd be like, hold on. Let me get my notes. Let me teach you what. <laughs> let me help. Yes. Yes. Alex. Yes. Is there any other advice that you would have for a woman who is breastfeeding and struggling? What's the biggest take home that we should have from this? Mm, that's a good or even with like i would be interested in like your breca experience too like what just like what would you what advice would you give on both subjects oh one thing i realized that i forgot to talk about was there's one more thing about the breastfeeding BRCA thing that i didn't mention and that's after my first son i was only about a year and a half out from mastectomy. But when I had my second son, I actually did make a little bit of milk. And that's because um, each time you have a pregnancy, your body can regrow tissue because there's stem cells that flow back and forth between you and the baby. And so I did regrow some breast tissue. So I was able to breastfeed him with the, I still use the thing, but I made like drops. So he did get some from me. And then with my daughter that I just had, I made like I was filling little syringes with breast milk because with her, it was the third time now. So more breast tissue had come back. So I was able to kind of like nurse her and use the little thing. But a lot of times I would just nurse her until she got whatever out of me. And then we would use the bottle after that because I made so much after her. I mean, so much. But for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I got like a whole little tiny medicine syringe full of milk. Like, whoa, this is so exciting. But that is something with women that have had mastectomies, they don't tell you that that can happen. Panic. When I, that milk started leaking out of me with my second child, I called my surgeon and I was like, hey, um, something terrible is going on. And I think <laughs> I have cancer. There is stuff. And I was so scared. And he was like, no, 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 no. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's like, you, this, and he explained the whole like stem cell thing to me. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Somebody should have told you that. Um, but he's like, not enough of our patients have babies after mastectomies. So he was like, it's really not something we talk about most of the time, but I will make sure that it is in our like patient Um, education going forward because I don't want somebody to like go through this. But then when I knew it was safe, I continued to feed him. And then with my second or with my third, you know, child, same thing. Um, But I was just like, I mean, absolutely. Oh my God, something is wrong. Why do I have milk? I don't understand. And he was just (laughs) like, it's okay. It's okay. So that is something fun that I learned. Um, That's cool. As far as you know, going back to the other question, I just wanted to say that because there are moms that have had mastectomies that don't realize that can happen to them. And I love to share that because it's cool. And you get to kind of give them a little bit that you didn't know that you could give. If you come to the point where, you know, something like that happens to you, where you find out you have a mutation, or you find out that you have breast cancer, and you have to have a mastectomy, you know, or you have to have a lumpectomy or things like that, because lumpectomies can also affect your milk supply, because they do kind of just cut into the tissue at random to get out the mass, and that can cut through ducts and, you know, damage things. Um, It's not the end of your journey. Like, it doesn't mean it's the end. It means that it might be different for you, 
but it's not the end. And there's so many options. Even if you don't get to have a nipple sparing, if they have to take your nipples too, there's still skin to skin. There's still, you know, donor breast milk that's available. There's, you can still kind of experience this journey without exactly the way that maybe you imagined it. Because even moms that don't have a mastectomy that do have under supplies or do have, you know, issues like that and can't breastfeed, that could be you. Could you imagine like you put off doing this big surgery because you wanted to breastfeed and then you can't like, and that can happen. So just remembering that you're not the only person that's going through this. There are other people, you know, and all of that. And then when it comes to breastfeeding advice, um, the best thing I can say is get a lactation consultant to come to your house after you have your baby The ones in the hospital are on a strict schedule. They are basically told that they have to get you feeding and then get out. It's not their fault. It is their administration that makes them be that way. Um, From what I gathered from a friend of mine who did it and left, she said that I felt like I wasn't helping. I was doing more harm than good because I was just putting Band-Aids on problems that needed stitches. So she said that, but that was the way that they made her work. She was basically told to get them feeding so that they could leave the hospital. And that was it. And so a lot of moms feel like that's their experience, but that's not what they want to do. So just first, don't demonize your lactation consultant because she probably doesn't want to do it the way she's doing it. Um, But to get one to come to your house. The other thing I highly recommend that most people think they don't need is to do a breastfeeding course before you have a baby. Mm. And they make online ones. They have in-person ones. Reach out to a local lactation consultant because I do private classes. Like if parents reach out to me and say, hey, look, I you know, haven't had my baby yet, but I'm just really nervous about breastfeeding. Can you just come talk to me and my husband and just give us like a rundown or whatever? That could be so helpful because then you don't yeah. even need to call somebody because you've learned a couple of troubleshooting tips before you even go into all of this. So that would be really helpful. And then just join like friend groups, find other moms that have small babies, because even if they can't give you advice, they can commiserate with you. And that's kind of part of the, that's part of it. It's just that you're kind of feel stuck in your own head when you have a newborn and just being able to vent to other moms here that they also had struggles can be huge in just helping with your mental health, which will then help with your whole journey in general. Alex, give us your info for anybody who may want to get in contact with you. Okay. So yeah, exciting news. I just got hired um, at Lactation Consultants of Central Florida. Oh, congratulations. That you helped me. Yes. Oh, yes. So they're amazing. Yeah. So they just hired me um, to come on. I'm going to be their new, like, uh, basically student because they want to teach me the way that they run things. So Mm -hmm. I'll be like a student. lactation counselor for the next few months and then I'll move into like my own practice um and I'm going to be working with them so I you can find me there they're going to put all my information up in the next couple weeks because everything just went through last week so um lactation consultants of central Florida um Amy Bassett is the one who runs that so I will be under her so you can always contact her to get me I would just say reach out there because I will have my email will be alex at lactation consultants of central florida.com Perfecto. Okay. Thank you. Thank Alex. you so much for Thank joining. I love me. this stuff. I could have. Well, so, have yeah. Back. So yeah. we had a game that we were going to play. Never have I ever mom edition. Mom edition. Okay. Mom edition. Never have I ever uh, licked a pacifier to clean it. Oh, definitely. Totally. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
100%. Right. No, I, I I always just ran under the, the faucet. What if you want to hear outside? And oh, I always had a little clippy clip. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I just clean that off. Yep. Um, <laughs> never, never have I ever um, hid food from my kids. Oh, yeah. 100%, right? Especially the cookies and stuff. I told them uh, it's spicy. Sorry, you can't. Oh, all the time. You're not gonna like that. You're not gonna. That's you're my not go gonna like to. This. <laughs> That's my go-to. It's spicy. Oh, no. Spicy. <laughs> I, I have one. Never have I ever told my kids like we have like when you're trying to get them out the door or something. Like you need to hurry up before wherever it is you're going closes. Something that doesn't close. Like uh oh, McDonald's. It's almost yeah. oh, it's closing. McDonald's is gonna close. <laughs> I have. I've done that. I'm yeah, Scott, I actually just did it the other day with because uh, Ernie was like, "How am I going to get him out of this play area? Like, uh, we got to go home." I'm like, "Tell him it's closing. Yeah. Tell him it's closing." <laughs> yeah, I do that. I'll say it's closing. Or like the other day, they wanted to go somewhere, but it was spring break, so I was like, oh, "I'm yeah. not taking you anywhere right now." And so I said, "Ah, it's not open today." Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> a lot of the arcade wasn't open earlier. It's not so, just no. so you know, not open. <laughs> Yeah. Not open. No. Dolphins are sleeping. <laughs> Not, yep, no. Uh, uh, never have I ever, okay, uh, been puked on. Not, ba- not, not like, you know, baby spit up, oh, no. but like full blown. Full blown projectile vomit. Yeah. Full blown. Oh, it's the, and I gotta tell you, before I had Ezra, puke was the most disgust. Like, I couldn't even look at it. I couldn't smell it. Like, it was like, don't puke. Whatever you do, just don't puke. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of like that now, like with adults and stuff. But like when Ezra does it, I'm like, oh my God, baby, are you okay? Like, or catching it in my hand. Oh yeah. Like Coleman done that too. Just no. <laughs> Not on the carpet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hold it in until you get to the bathroom. I never have I ever told my kids that the ice cream truck only plays music when they are out of ice cream. No, I haven't done that. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Because I'm going to tell you, Ezra's ears. They hear it. They Uh hear it. They can hear it from a mile away. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Alex, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. For joining us. And um, love you guys. And have a great, great week. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. I love you, Mommy.